Hello, welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, your weekly opportunity to explore the 2,000-year-old Catholic intellectual tradition. My name is Dr. Benjamin Smith. I'm a lecturer in philosophy from Catholic Studies Academy, and I'm very pleased to be joined tonight by uh, our special guest, Mr. John Carswell. John is the co-host of uh, the Tolkien Road podcast and the author of Tolkien's Requiem Concerning Baron and Luthien. He's also the author of uh, Tolkien's Overture Concerning the Music of the Ainur, and he graduated in 2014 with a master's in literature uh, from Belmont University here in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you for gonna, having me. Yeah, you're welcome. We're going to uh, uh, be exploring, reflecting on sort of the um, philosophical and theological maybe themes that are connected to uh, some of Tolkien's writings. Uh, John, why don't you just get us started off by talking a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in uh, in Tolkien. Great, yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> when I was uh, <clears throat> when I was <clears throat> excuse me when I was in middle school, um, <clears throat> my dad one summer told me, uh, you know, you need to read a book this summer. Um, <laughs> That's and, good, good father. And uh, and he told me, uh, you know, he said, why don't you read The Hobbit? Okay. And so I read The Hobbit and. I didn't think much of it. Okay. Right. <laughs> I, I um I, I read I read The Hobbit and I think I did a book report for my dad. You know, probably uh, you know one page double spaced or something like that, and then I was done with it. Um, and then fast forward probably ten years, roughly okay. ten years, and it's two thousand one. No, no, wait a second. I guess second John. Yeah. You, you wrote a book report for your dad. Uh, this is interesting. I'm thinking about uh, you're now inspiring me to think about. Uh, Imposing this as a new practice in my home. Was this a regular thing in your home? No, I think this is the only time I've ever done like that. I'm not sure why my dad had me do that okay, uh, that okay. one summer. Right, I think right. he was probably just fed up with my like you know adolescent shenanigans <laughs> okay, and bad attitude, right, and was right. just wanting to you know bring the hammer down on me somehow. Okay, so all right, bring, bring a little responsibility into, into just that, stuff. Just that uh, blessed fatherly love, mm. right? You know. So okay, good, good. Uh, all right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so fast forward about ten years from that, and. It's 2001, and um, and everybody's making a big deal about uh, mm. this movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, that's coming out. Right, right. right. And I decided to go see it, mm. and and I just sit in that movie theater, and I'm like, wow, mm. this mm. is this is not this is this isn't just good. This is this is amazing. Wow, yeah. Uh-huh. This is this story is incredible. Mm. Um. And so I, I left the movie theater, and I think I went back to see it again within the week. And and I was just like, I've got to read, I've got to read these books. Okay, I found right. out, you uh-huh. know, like okay, these are, you know, this movie was based on these books, mm-hmm. right? Okay, I've got to go read these books now. And by the time, um, by the time the Two Towers movie had come out the next summer, the next year, a mm-hmm. year later, mm-hmm. um, I think I had read The Lord of the Rings twice at that point. Wow. Right? Okay. Uh-huh. Um. So I just I fell in love with right, the vision right. of of J.R.R. Tolkien, mm-hmm. and and as much as as much as we Tolkien fans can sometimes malign the work <laughs> that uh, Peter Jackson has done, uh, <laughs> um, uh-huh. uh, you know, with with his movies, uh-huh. um, it's also they've also introduced a whole lot of people to this world. Yeah, and, um, is that is that is that a good enough justification, John? Are you sure? Well, you take the good with the bad, <laughs> okay. right? You take the good with the bad. Right, I think right. I think overall, you know. Um, we we can't turn this podcast into okay. you know into a gripe session about Peter Jackson's films. That's for I, next time, maybe. Well, right. Yeah, right. Well, I, and and hey, on my podcast, The Tolkien okay. Road, we've actually done good, good, uh, good. Re- reviews of those. Okay, so, great, great, um, great. Uh, so you can go back, and, and these are you know many years down the road for me, and having known a lot more about Tolkien now, so you can go and listen to those if you'd like. Okay. Um, but needless to say, for me at least, it was it was the uh, gateway, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, called a gateway drug, if you it, must. A gateway <laughs> in, a good, in a good sense, right? Right, okay. right, right. right. Uh, but it got me into the real thing, right? Into the good thing, and um, and so I just, I just really fell in love with the, um, with the world. But it wasn't just about the Dungeons and Dragons, sure. right? Right, right. Um, it was, it had a lot more to do with the underlying philosophy, right? Like, okay. like the, like the beauty of just of a lot of the characters and the heart, mm-hmm. like the heart of a lot of the characters, um. And and I just detected this thing that really resonated with my um, with my with my Christian faith. Mm-hmm. I was like, there just seems to be um, something 
something kind of tastes and smells Christian about this, even though Christianity isn't in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's explicitly, sure. even though it's right. not in there right. explicitly. And um, that had always been an idea. As someone who grew up Christian, like that had always been an idea about art that I appreciated because you, okay. get, you get so much, um, you know, especially in the evangelical circles I grew up in, you had a lot of, you know, contemporary Christian music and you had, you had these movies that would come out and they would be like targeted specifically for Christians mm-hmm. and you'd watch them or you'd listen to them and if you were any kind of, kind of critical thinker, you'd be like, this ain't very, this isn't very good. Like okay. this is not, this is not really great. And this is not really good art. Um, it may be good as a, you know, an evangelical device or something like that, but it's mm-hmm. not really good art. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but I was like, here's something that like, this is, this is like a Christian who made exceptional art. Mm. Yeah. It's wonderful, yeah, wonderful literature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that began my kind of, my kind of mm-hmm. obsession with, uh, with Tolkien's works. Um, so, uh, you know, the next logical step. So I, I think I also went back and read The Hobbit, you know, okay, several good, times. Right, and I was so, like, okay, uh, now, uh, now I kind of get it, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Um, and then the next logical step, of course, after you read The Lord of the Rings multiple mm, times, okay. and you've read The Hobbit multiple times, is right. The Silmarillion, okay, right? Okay, sure, like, absolutely. And how many people have cracked open The Silmarillion for the first time <laughs> and said, what in the world is going on here? Number one, yeah. where are the hobbits? Right, right? sure, sure. Yeah. Number two, Where's any character I recognize, right? Uh, 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 you may later figure out that Gandalf shows up in an obscure an reference obscure under way. a different name uh, uh, under right. in, uh, in Valaquenta, the second kind of section of the Silmarillion. But otherwise, you're just you're just wondering. Okay, I know this takes place in mm-hmm. Middle Earth, but I have no idea how it connects to the Lord of the Rings, yeah, right? right? To right. the to the world that I know and fell mm-hmm. in love with, mm-hmm. and uh, and the Lord of the Rings. And um, so I think it took me two or three false starts, okay. you know, where I got progressively a little further in mm-hmm. until I finally just said, you know what? I don't care what happens. Nothing is going to stop me from reading <laughs> the Silmarillion all the way through this time. That's great. Right? That's great. That's the kind of determination you need yeah. sometimes to read something like that, mm-hmm. though, right? It's, it's thick and it is difficult. Yeah. I, I think difficult to most modern sensibilities, yes. right? You know, like unless you're used to reading epic poetry or right. something of that nature, um, then it's going to be something that's... That's sort of hard. Um, I, I grew up really liking the history books of the Bible, mm-hmm. which makes me sort of weird, I know. But, like, I really liked them. Uh-huh. I genuinely, like, enjoyed reading those. So when I when I got to the Silmarillion, it actually... It, it, so, like, the, like First Kings? Yeah, Kings, yeah, those sorts of things. Yeah. Like, I, okay. I kind of dug that. And, Interesting, wow. And uh, so when I got to the Silmarillion, it didn't... Uh, it certainly felt strange, but it also didn't feel completely unfamiliar yeah. as a literary form. Mm-hmm. I also had the, the, the blessing of having a... My grandfather was a PhD in literature, mm-hmm. and so he liked to mm-hmm. read epic poetry to us out loud sometimes, oh, like when we'd okay. come for a visit. Yeah. And so that that was just kind of part of my family background. So uh, I kind of was like, "Oh, yeah, right." But it is a strange literary form, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the the Silmarillion. Well, and and you know, Ben, you're a you're a PhD in philosophy. <laughs> I, you are, you you are you are the kind of person that uh, you know it probably. Tolkien wasn't really thinking of anybody when he wrote his work. Sure. He, he he was thinking of what he loved, which is great. And that's which great. which is honestly that's kind of how it should be with a lot yeah, of absolutely. art, right? With, totally. with maybe all mm-hmm. art, I don't know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, but that's how Tolkien was wired. And he was a PhD. Um, he was a philologist, right? Right. Right. Um, he loved language and the study of language. Um, so you know, you you came at it with the ability to appreciate it, but for so mm-hmm. many mm-hmm. of us, so many of us just don't have the underlying kind of. Mm. Uh, probably temperament and and sure. and um, uh, just intellectual curiosity and stick right. and stick to itiveness, right? right? right Perseverance right, right. that yeah, yeah. that uh, you know that, that a, a PhD in philosophy would have. So, right. yeah, sure. um, so anyway, it took me three mm. or four times gotcha. to finally make my way all the way through it, yeah. and I finally did it that last time, and I was like, okay, now I did it. Now I got to go back and reread it because I'm not sure I understood any of it. But, <laughs> but I started rereading it, and I was like, you know what? There was one story in there that I really loved. Okay. And it was Baron and Luthien. Very good. Right? Yeah. I was right. like, this story, this, and, and maybe it's because you see, uh, because Sauron plays such an important part in it, mm-hmm. and he's a familiar, obviously a familiar character, the, the main bad guy in sure. The Lord yeah. of the Rings, of right? Um, but you're like, okay, now it's somebody I recognize. Right, right? Even right. as the bad guy, it's somebody <laughs> I recognize, right? Um, and, and I just read that. I went back and I think maybe read that story as a standalone, and I was just like, this is incredible. Like this, mm, this story mm-hmm. by itself, it's not long. Sure. Sure. Uh, it's one of the longer chapters in the yeah. book, but a 
just like this story is extremely powerful, yeah. right? Okay. And 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 um, extremely enjoyable, mm-hmm. just as a standalone story yeah. by itself. John, for for those who haven't read it, could you just say just to maybe give a real quick thumb uh, thumbnail sketch of that of sure. the main of the main sort of maybe action or something? Yeah. So um, so Tolkien's requ- <laughs> sorry, Tolkien's Requiem is the book I read about. <laughs> That's all right. No, if you want to know, just read Tolkien's Requiem. That's right. Um, no, um, Baron and Luthien is, I think it's chapter 19 in the Silmarillion, if memory serves. Okay. Um, or it's chapter 21, I can't remember. But anyway, um, it's uh, it takes place in the middle, actually towards the end of the First Age, right? And the First okay. Age is a pretty short age in the history of Middle-earth. Right. Um, compared to, like, the Second Age and the Third Age. The Third Age is when Lord of the Rings takes place. Baron and Luthien is the story of a... Uh, mortal man mm-hmm. and a uh, and an elvish uh, princess. Okay. Right, and it's basically the story of um, how they meet and mm-hmm. they kind of fall in love, mm-hmm. and and they conspire to uh, to steal a Silmaril, one of the holy jewels, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. from uh, the Iron Crown of Morgoth, who's like wow, the ultimate right. bad sure. guy, right? right, the ultimate Absolutely. satanic figure mm-hmm. of uh, of Middle Earth, right. Mm-hmm. He, Morgoth is so bad that he makes that you know Sauron works for him. Yeah, Sauron's right? like an offshoot or something. Yeah, Sauron like Sauron works for Morgoth, right? right? Yeah, okay. Um, so that tells you how bad it, how bad a dude Morgoth was. Um, so that's that's kind of the the gist of that story in, in mm-hmm. a nutshell, right? Mm-hmm. They they conspire to steal mm-hmm. this uh, Silmaril from his crown, and right. there's all kinds of reasons they do that, you mm-hmm. know. But um, you just kind of have to read the story to get the whole. You know, that's the, right. And you cover whole, this in your in your is this your most recent book? So Tolkien's Requiem is the first book I wrote. Okay, the first yeah. one. Okay, okay, yeah. great, great. So, so anyway, eventually, uh, about ten years after I originally got into mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings and okay. get into Tolkien, I I go back and I I like um, I decided to get my master's in English. Sure. And okay. um, and through that process, um, you know, I decided to write my master's thesis on uh, Tolkien because mm-hmm. I had found um, I I just done a lot more digging into the philosophy underlying his works mm-hmm. through um mm-hmm. through through things like uh, his his essay on fairy stories which is kind okay. of the um the main literary criticism like um the main literary essay that kind of lays out his view of of uh literary criticism sure um and and so i wanted to just explore like what made his work so fascinating i'd also always been fascinated by his ability to make his stories seem so real. Sure. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this incredible verisimilitude in his mm-hmm. stories where you're like, this is, he was good friends with C.S. Lewis. And I go mm-hmm. back and I read like the Chronicles of Narnia mm-hmm. now. And I'm like, these are nice stories, but mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, and they even have like, they're, they're good, like, like spiritual stories in a lot of ways, sure. but like, they don't really seem real. You okay. know, they don't, mm-hmm. they don't have that same sort of like, I feel like I could step foot into this world. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's, and mm-hmm. it's there. Yeah. Tolkien's works have that feeling. To sure. Me. And yeah. that fascinated yeah. me as well. Like, mm-hmm. how did he pull that off yeah. with the work of fantasy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I did my master's thesis on, on Tolkien and, and in tandem with that, I wrote this uh, paper for a conference um, about the story of Baron and Luthien because mm-hmm. I was fascinated mm-hmm. by the story. And in the theme, it was like, um, the theme of this conference was like poison and love, right? Like, okay. you know, how are sure. they kind of like, how can love poison somebody and, yeah, and that kind yeah, of thing, yeah. right? Um, and so uh, that eventually became my first book here, Tolkien's okay. Requiem. Okay. Um, and what I wanted to do with that book was open up, open the doors to the mm-hmm. Silmarillion, kind of yeah, through a back sure. door, gotcha, right? Gotcha. With this story yeah. that I felt like was a lot more accessible than mm-hmm. how the Silmarillion actually began. As a whole, a whole, right? as a whole, yeah. because it, because because Baron and Luthien ties together so many of the threads uh, mm-hmm. that are that are woven throughout um, throughout the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. If you know, and and so in my book, that's what I try to do. I kind of like look at the history of the Silmarils, Silmarils, where they came from, and um, and you find all this uh, all this material about mm-hmm. uh, that just. You know that's symbolic and that overlaps with the story of Baron and Luthien itself, yeah, right? Yeah, so, sure, sure. Um, I really found in that story something that ties all the different threads of um, of the world of the first age of Middle Earth mm-hmm. and even the prehistory of the first age, mm-hmm. right? Uh, ties it all together. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, 
yeah, you know, you talk some about sort of the um, the underlying philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. That you sort of uh, discovered, experienced, uh, uncovered in your your working through Tolkien, your study of Tolkien. Um, yeah, one of the things that strikes me um, uh, about the story, of course, of Baron Luthien is the is of course their encounter uh, with uh, Morgoth, and as you've talked about, I mean, he's he's sort of evil beyond Sauron, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is it? I mean, uh, I think that both Morgoth and Sauron um, in the sort of, uh, in Tolkien's corpus, right, mm-hmm. um, express Tolkien's view of evil, right? Yeah. What, is it, what does it mean to be evil? Uh, what, what, you know, what drives them to do the terrible things they do, right? Mm-hmm. Because in some ways, I mean, when you step back and look at fantasy literature in general, but even in Tolkien's world, which is quite realistic, you do sort of wonder, like, what would drive somebody to want to rule a bunch of orcs? Right. right? I mean, it seems grotesque, right? I yeah. mean, like, just on the face of it, you know, like, orcs and trolls, they're all, you know, uh, unpleasant is not, is, is, is too nice of a way to put it, right? Yeah. I mean, like, so why would you be like this? Because, I mean, it's so grotesquely evil. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why would you want to be Morgoth, right? Why, why does Morgoth want to be Morgoth, right? Mm-hmm. Why does he do this kind of thing? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's it's sure, one of the yeah. parts of the uh, of the stories that always struck me. Right? Was that I always thought, wow, like he's got a real insight here into into evil and almost kind mm-hmm. of the irrationality of it. Uh, but I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. What do, what do you uh, uh, what did you think in your own studies about that? Well, that was a that was something I actually explored quite a bit as I was writing my the other book, um, Tolkien's Overture, which, mm-hmm. which just came out this summer. Um, because Tolkien's overture explores basically the creation story of Middle Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the chapter Ina Lindale, which opens up the Silmarillion, and in that story, you know, Tolkien deals with a lot of these themes because right. Morgoth is one of uh, Mel- Morgoth's original name is Melkor, Melkor, right? Okay. Yeah. Melkor is what he was originally named uh, by Iluvatar, who's the the ultimate god figure, kind right? Source, right? He's yeah. Iluvatar is the All Father, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Um, and um, and then he creates all these beings who are, uh, you know, these these powerful uh, quasi angelic beings who are the Ainur, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And they create this great music, and through that music, mm. Arda, which is Middle Earth, comes mm-hmm. into being, mm-hmm. right? So they kind of cooperate to create this yeah. world. Yeah, very interesting. Melkor, slash Melkor mm-hmm. Morgoth, right? I'll call him Melkor because that's what he's called in the story, Anilindale. Um, Melkor is this really mysterious figure, and, and and it really gets to that question of like, why does he behave? Like, why can't why can't he just cooperate right with everybody and get along? Uh-huh. Um, he's very, I think he's laid out very similarly to how we understand, uh, you know, in in the Catholic tradition, we understand um, Lucifer, how we understand mm-hmm. Satan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of the ultimate, he, he's maybe the greatest of the angels, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, at least an angelic prince, right? yeah, uh, yeah. Of a high you know, order, he's, sure. he's a uh, he's a high order figure, mm-hmm. and he was created good, mm-hmm. right? He was mm-hmm. created to be a part of this, right? Right, right, and to be a brother with the other Ainur, right? Um, and it and it even says of him, um, it even says of him that he kind of shared, had a share in all of the powers of the others, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. each of the Ainur tend to have kind of a specific thing that they're good at, right? Okay, that sure. specific power that they are particularly focused on. And it seems that Melkor kind of brings all their powers together. So mm-hmm. he's uniquely great, right, mm-hmm. in a way, right? Um, but um, for some reason, that's not enough for him. Uh-huh. And uh, Tolkien talks a lot about uh, he become, that Melkor becomes obsessed with this thing, uh, with the void, which is the empty space, right, the emptiness mm-hmm. that surrounds uh, kind of the halls of Iluvatar where they're it's doing all this creating. Right, right, right? yeah. Um, and he, because Iluvatar gives reality to the, to the things that they kind of work on and create through sure. this thing called the, the flame imperishable. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. Um, that's, that's interesting. Okay. And, and he's like, well, why can't we bring the flame imperishable out into all these void spaces? Mm-hmm. So I actually deal in Tolkien's overture. I deal with Melkor a little bit in a sympathetic fashion being, mm-hmm. because, you know, there's a sense in which he's saying, um, wait a minute, aren't we forgetting about all this empty mm-hmm. space out here we're so focused on this you know on, mm-hmm. on our little party sure. right here right, right what about all the emptiness uh-huh. out here uh-huh. um so there's something sympathetic about that but um but at the same time it's the it's it's the way he goes about it right mm-hmm. he ends up it's almost like he ends up becoming becoming full of 
um, his own greatness and mm-hmm. his own kind of like sensitivity to the empty spaces out there, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that drives him to almost look down on uh, on the others, mm-hmm. right? Okay. On his brethren. Okay. okay. Um, and it leads him to kind of wanting to assert his own presence within the music of the Ainur, which mm-hmm. starts off as this music is this beautiful harmonious right. music. Sure. And then he wants to kind of you know, make all this noise mm-hmm. and be like, but what about me? What about right, me? I'm so right, great. Right, right. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's this, I don't know. It's John, it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, um, <clears throat> yeah, the, the void is a really interesting thing to introduce here. Um, because what make you know, when you're speaking about that, it makes me think of, um, something about the void, say in ancient philosophy, mm-hmm. right. Is that the void is, um, almost a, way of talking about possibility mm-hmm. um and plotinus i just happened to be um, teaching some things on plotinus recently he talks about the 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 souls departing from kind of the universal soul and the mm-hmm. uh, uh, and so forth because they want to not rule under the ruler D- mm. does that make sense right yeah and uh so that they they depart from that um so that they can rule over the body sort of independently mm-hmm. of course the irony, of course, in Plotinus is they end up becoming captured by the body. Yeah. Right. So they want to rule over the body independently from universal soul, uh, but then they end up being sort of captured and enslaved to the body. Mm. Right. Which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. So you think about what I just maybe think about void uh, that maybe that maybe Melkor was tempted by void. Yeah. Uh, in the sense that that was a realm for his own instead of being involved in the music. Right. Yeah. It was a place for him to have his own sort of mastery and creation uh, what do you yeah think about that? yeah no i i think there's uh I, I think i think there's definitely something to that um when um when uh later on okay when uh later on in the music of the Ainur, uh iluvatar basically reveals to the Ainur that um what their music their music is going to become this great world right okay. it's going to take on this reality um, but he also says like, okay, so what you, what you've done here is I'm going to give it reality. Right. And okay. so you didn't, you didn't even know this, but you're going to recognize the things in your music in this reality, uh, but uh-huh. there's going to be something in this world that you didn't think of. And that's, that's going to be my soul, like kind of my unique contribution. And that's going to be elves and then men, right? Okay. The children of Iluvatar as huh. they're known. That's right? interesting. Yeah. Um, a couple of chapters later, you have one of the Ainur, Aule, uh-huh. who is a good character. Sure. And it's, he's a good guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he gets impatient, uh, right? Uh, uh, he says, well, where are the children of Iluvatar? Like, yeah. we were so excited about uh, these uh, these uh, these young kids that were coming right. along, uh, teach, teaching them all about this great world we created. Sure, and, sure. And, like, they they haven't shown up. It's been all this time, and they haven't shown up yet. And so what does he do? He decides to mm, make the dwarves, mm, mm, right? He, right? He tries right. to jump the gun on the children of Iluvatar sure. and tries to create them himself. Mm, and... Mm. He yeah. creates he creates this what later on are derogatorily called uh, the stunted people, right? <laughs> right, um, sure, sure. By uh, by some of the more snobby elves in the story. Uh-huh. Um, so he creates these dwarves, and Iluvatar's like, "What are you doing? You you know you mm. I told you to to be patient to wait." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but Aule insisted on doing this, so Aule is going to go destroy these these dwarves because he feels bad and he's like, "I shouldn't have done this." Sure. Uh-huh. And then Iluvatar's like, "Hold on, hold on. I'm gracious. I'm Iluvatar." Uh-huh. Um, they, they won't get to live before, you know, before elves, but uh-huh. I'll let them sleep for now. And then I'll mm. give them this, I'll give them the flame of perishable. I'll give them, I'll give them mm, true souls. Great. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, there's this, you see, you see kind of that thing that we see in larger picture with Melkor early yeah. on. You see that a little bit reflected in Ale. Yeah. Right? What's this, the difference between those two? Um, I think it's the willingness to recognize that his error and submit mm-hmm. right and come mm-hmm. back and repent right mm-hmm. and be sure. like because the, the the feel you get from Ale in this story is that um it, it it was a little bit like um a little kid just being too excited right, to kind of right, like right uh-huh. to kind of hold it in right, right, right. because Iluvatar created these beings the Ainur to be creative beings right, right. yeah to, sure, they had sure. this impulse for creation to right. want to beautify and to um, and to bring new things into reality, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and also, he he created them to have this impulse to want to um, to teach and to share knowledge with 
mm-hmm. the children of Iluvatar. Right, 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 right. So it's kind of like they're sitting there like, okay, can we go do this? And maybe uh, there's a little bit of that in Melkor when he's uh, like, what about the void? What about the void? Uh, uh, there's all this space out there that we haven't done sure, anything with. Sure, right, right, right. right uh, um, and so there's a couple of times in the, in the music of the Ainur in Ainulindale where Melkor um, is basically rebuked by Iluvatar. Mm, okay, right, right, right. right. And... And, and even as you go further in the history of, of Arda, right? Uh-huh. There's times when he's kind of brought into check and rebuked and he seems to repent. Sure. Right? Uh, yeah, but he right. never really does, right? Uh-huh. He never uh-huh. really, he's always kind of holding on, mm-hmm. right? To that mm-hmm. pride, like, I really am better than you guys, right? Right, right, right. And, and I'm even better than a Luvatar, hmm. right? Wow, well, well, well. Um But Luvatar doesn't really know what's going on, right? <laughs> uh, he doesn't, he does, he may not really know what he's doing. Sure, sure. Right? Um, and and Melkor does succeed in in kind of recruiting a lot of the lesser um, Ainur to his side, mm. right? Which is where mm. Sauron comes from. Sure. Um, Maybe the Balrogs or are they related. The Balrogs to, yeah, are right. yeah, yeah. Mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think the uh, the Ungoliant, who is the the great spider oh, being, right. who's mm-hmm. the uh, the foremother of oh, Shelob, right? right? Yeah, right, right. Um, and the and the giant spiders in the in Mirkwood, right? Um, Ungoliant, I. I, I don't know that it's ever explicitly stated, but I think a lot of people I've, I've are always pretty sure that, that she too. was a yeah. that she was a lesser Ainur mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah, so. that, that that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, uh, of it. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, I know that <clears throat> not that we need to talk about sort of evil the whole time, but one of the things that uh, um, you know that um, that theme, right, sort of of, of impatience, maybe of pride, mm-hmm. um, of uh, sort of self importance, maybe right. Um, Kind of runs through evil, I think, in, in all of Tolkien's works. I mean, obviously, the most, um, the, the the clearest example of this, to some degree, I, I would guess, is the ring itself, right? Mm-hmm. And the temptation of the ring. I mean, obviously, it's the ring of power. There are other rings of power, right? Yeah. But it's the ring of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to bring out the worst in everybody all the yeah. time. It, like, like just it just does, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how do you do? How do you think about what Tolkien? was trying to say about power and, mm-hmm. and maybe its connection to evil. That's a big, I mean, that's a big question. Right. Um, and, and I think a lot of, a lot of folks have, um, you know, wrestled with the one ring and, uh, and its significance. Um, I think, um, you know, in, in a way it connects a lot to the, you know, to the idea of that forbidden fruit, right. It's sure, that, yeah. um, you know, what, what harm uh-huh. could this little thing be? Right. Sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, um, right. what it was, I think it's, uh, Boromir, I don't have the exact mm. words, but he says something along the lines of it's it's he's like, Oh, the irony that like that we would like wrestle and just, you know, have so much <laughs> angst about this such a small, a small little thing, insignificant right. object, right? Yeah, I think that's when he's getting ready to, to try to steal it, is right. that right? Uh, yeah. uh, which is it's interesting in its own, right? Because there yeah. he is, right? Oh, why should we it's so small, but yet I really want it. <laughs> right. right. But it's really I think, you know, obviously, um because of what it promises mm-hmm. and you know, even say even with the 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 forbidden fruit in the garden right mm-hmm. you know when satan is tempting right he says you'll you'll eat that fruit you'll have the knowledge of good and evil uh, and then you will be like god yeah right so i mean it's it really is it's i think there's there's that further because right? sometimes I, I i know people think oh what's so bad about knowledge of good and evil right well mm-hmm. it's probably more deeper than that but in addition deeper than what we would think of as in terms of knowledge but in addition to that, um, you know, what Satan is holding out there, it really is, is, is power, authority, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, um, you're going to be like God, right? Um, right. Uh, which ties in, I think, to some degrees to the idea of the ring of power itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, we, we never get like the full explanation on the ring within the story itself, sure. right? Which is good, actually. It is, it is really good, right? <laughs> right, yeah. um, uh. And it's part of that, uh, it's, it's, I mean, I think that's what makes, that's some of what that verisimilitude I was talking about mm-hmm, before, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, do we ever really understand in this life what evil truly is, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, and what are temptations, like mm-hmm. why they draw us so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the one ring, um, I think specifically like the thing I land most on is that it, it, it has to do with the essence of who Sauron is, right? Okay. Um, and there may be, you know, and this is Sauron forging this ring after many thousands of years of existence, right? Sure. And in service of Morgoth, right? right? Who yeah. is the ultimate, ultimate bad guy. Uh-huh. Now, uh-huh. now by that, by the time he makes it, Morgoth is no longer in the picture. Morgoth right. has been 
Uh, spoiler alert, by the way. <laughs> if you haven't read the film, really. Um, but I'll just say Morgoth is no longer in the picture. Um, Banished but, outside or something like right, that. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and Sauron, but Sauron, nevertheless, um, he's he learned a ton mm, from him, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was his right-hand man. Right, And right, so, right. Um, so there's probably a little bit of, of Morgoth's sure. you know, uh, yeah. uh, business and essence in there as well, yeah, right? Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think I think it's just the you know, there's there's a I think there's a lot of different things that you could uh, you could say about it, but um, but one of them is just like the the idea of like um, of magic of mechanism. So mm-hmm. um, in one of his letters, there's a great letter that opens up the story of the Sil- that opens up the Silmarillion book um, mm. that Tolkien wrote to a man named Milton Waldman in I think like 1952 or 53. Okay. And he basically tries to lay out the whole myth in a letter, right? The wow. whole of the history yeah. of Middle Earth in a letter and, uh. like, explain what he's doing. So he talks a lot about various themes. But he says about magic, um, you know, he, he doesn't mean magic in, like, the hocus-pocus kind of sure. deal. Yeah. He's talking more about, like, using our creative abilities to create shortcuts and um, and kind of, like, weapons uh. and... Um, and destructive devices and that kind of thing to make sure. it easier to attain power. Right, right, right. To right, make it yeah. easier to attain domination mm-hmm. over others. Right, right, right. right. Um, that's what he really means by magic. And so I think one of the key things inherent in the ring is is that aspect, um, that the ring is this ability to to get at your ultimate desire right, 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 right. more quickly. Um, it's a shortcut in order to do that. Yeah. Um, right. But it also has to do with like the great power, like the great essence of being of these great beings, right? These great mm-hmm. creative and intelligent beings. Right. Right. That's why it mangles so yeah. badly somebody sure. like Gollum. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, it gives him the uh, you know it makes him immortal while uh-huh. he has it. Right. 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 But it like just stretches him thin yeah. because yeah. he's this little. That's right. He's this little hobbit guy, right? <laughs> right he's yeah. this little hobbit guy. He's not really capable of it, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but he can't. He can't die, right? right, right he can't die right. while he has it. At least it is so interesting. I mean, um, there's a way in which Suraman, not Suron, but Suraman, uh, he, you know, is kind of a um, uh, a poor imitation, right? Of even Suron, because it, you know, when you think about power, right? Especially in a fantasy setting, it's easy to think about doing something mm-hmm. like throwing lightning bolts or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, and there are uh, a couple of scenes like that, right, in The Lord of the Rings. But, you know, Tolkien exercises a really excellent reticence mm-hmm. to do that. I and mean, he, he lets that come out a little, right, right. Uh, these kind of spectacular displays. But the ring, even the Ring of Power isn't really like that. I mean, turning invisible, eh, okay. You know, like, yeah. that, that sounds great, but, I mean, is it really, like, that's the end-all, be-all? And it doesn't really seem to me that that is the end-all, be-all of the yeah. ring, right? The ring is really something more about domination, right? Mm-hmm. Sir, a man can do that through his tongue, right? Like yeah. he, he has the ability to use speech, right, to dominate others. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the ring itself, right, that that sort of magnifies, you know, because because they, 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 they the wise, right, in the council uh, talk about the idea that if Sauron gets it, he'll be unstoppable, yeah, right. And it's not as if it doesn't sound as if it's like some weapon, mm-hmm. right? Like he's gonna be, a, he has an unstoppable weapon. It's almost he himself will be unstoppable. Yeah. Right. Um, even in the siege of uh, of Gondor, or siege of um, Minas Tirith, right? A lot of it's psychological, right? Yeah. A lot of it, you know, is this feeling of unstoppable evil, and we're gonna lose. Right. Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> right? And eventually, if I remember correctly, at one point you talked in the podcast about how that breaks Denethor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, himself, that sense of like the unstoppable domination of of Sauron, right? Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, um, well, Denethor is such a fantastic character because, um, you know, he he kind of reflects um, this despair, right? This sure. like ultimate despair, especially that um, that Tolkien Tolkien was really interested in um, in like pre-Christian men, mm, mankind, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He was really interested in like these people who like were born into this world where. They knew something was off, right? Mm-hmm. They they knew that like that death was a tragedy, but like it's deep down they were like, but it doesn't seem like it should be part of mm-hmm. part of our reality, mm-hmm. right? Sure, sure. Um, and he actually deals with this quite a bit. For those who don't know, um, you know, he he said on multiple occasions he made the point that look, my story takes place and it it 
I'm not saying it's actual history, but it's a, it's it's meant to be a historical myth for, um, for England, right, mm-hmm. and for kind of the Northern European spirit, sure. right? right, the Northern right. European peoples, and it's meant to it's meant to take place within the context of the incarnation and the mm-hmm. resurrection, right, mm-hmm. as a future historical event. Gotcha. Right. Right. right so right. you see that reflected in like March 25th. Being the day that the ring is destroyed, you know, it's, it's, it's the uh, you know the same day as like the Annunciation, okay, right, later okay. on. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Um, but uh, Denethor is interesting for that reason, be, and, and I especially love the scene where Gandalf rebukes him, sure, right, 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 and says, "Look, you're not you're you need to stop behaving like some some mm. pagan king loser of of right. Your, right? Like <laughs> you are the stu- you may not be the king but you're the steward of Gondor and Gondor he, he doesn't say it this way but he says Gondor is a kingdom uh, that was founded by the people of Numenor who were mm. the people of the hope of the blessed mm. realm. Right, right? Sure, sure, right, right. So it's almost like this um this pre-Christian, you know, it's, yeah. like, it's almost like this Christian ideal but it's 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 in this setting that we don't know what the future hope is yet. Sure. And so right, he rebukes right. him very strongly for not having hope. Yeah, that's interesting. Right? Yeah. For despairing. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I think about the uh, from the uh, the Bible, uh, the sense of of hope of the Old Testament saints, mm-hmm. right? Maybe who didn't. And I, I say this carefully. I, I wouldn't want to put the Old Testament saints in the same position as pre-Christian pagans, mm-hmm. right? Sure. But yeah. but but they do have the 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 situation of. Not fully knowing, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I tend to have a high view of, of what the Old Testament saints knew, but even I would s- sort of say I don't think they fully understood mm-hmm. what was going to come, and um, and yet they're expected to have hope. Yeah. Right. Uh, and obviously, in the Book of Hebrews, right, it's, it talks about the way in which the Old Testament saints had this hope, right, about yeah. what was to come, the better country that was to come, mm-hmm. um, and 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 the despair really is a sin. Yeah. Right. <laughs> in that in that sense. And in this sense, you know, even for Denethor, who who didn't know, right, the, the sort of eschatological future uh, right. uh, in that sense. And, and it wasn't, you know, he wasn't rebuking him because he didn't have hope that they were going to be rescued right then and there. Sure, right? sure. Um, he, I mean, Gandalf was like, we may fail. Right? That's right. We may That's fail right. here uh-huh, right uh-huh, now, uh-huh. but you need to make a stand, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, Even if it means mm-hmm. you're going to die and, right. and this kingdom's going to fall, you still need to make a stand sure. and you still need to have that hope within you. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, that's part, one of the things that just makes Denethor such a, you know, such an in- interesting character. Um, but yeah, I mean, the one ring, there's just no single way to, to nail it down. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, it, it's, I think it ends up being something different for everybody mm-hmm, because sure. it represents a, it represents a means to become more powerful mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. an illicit way, in a, right? Yeah, in an illicit way, almost kind of cheating. Yeah, right, right, and, dom- and really uh, almost always, you know, dominating others. Right, right. And, it, and it always comes back, and if you use it, it always comes back to harm you. That's right. right? Harm it you. always That's comes right. back. It's it's you think uh-huh. you think you're wielding it, but it's wielding you. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And then, it, and then when it's done with you, it just throws you away. Yeah, yeah, right, uh, for sure. Um, so I mean we've talked a lot of it uh, here, John, about uh, sort of uh, evil, right? And that mm-hmm. is that's obviously part of the the drama, right, of uh, Tolkien's narrative. Um, obviously there are, are heroic characters who resist this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who uh, events a different kind of spirit, a different kind of ideal. Um, obviously Baron Luthien, uh, mm-hmm. I think very much of uh, of Samwise, mm-hmm. right, as yeah. being uh, sort of the almost kind of the antithesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, to this, can you speak a little bit to, to to sort of like some of the ideas that that you think are involved in some of the the heroic uh, resistance to, I guess, evil uh, in in Middle Earth. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, Sam, you know, Samwise is just such a fantastic character. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, when uh, in that Waldman letter, that same Waldman letter, mm-hmm. Tolkien actually connects both Baron and Luthien and the Hobbits together, and in this idea that like um, hmm. that they kind of represent this special kind of heroism, right? That that okay. looks at that, and, and it's the it's the heroism of the common person, right? Of the common yeah, man. Yeah, that's really right? interesting. Um, that's not a populist idea. That's a saying. Mm. That's that's saying like um, it's the little people of the world when mm. they when they accept their littleness and their mm-hmm. smallness and mm-hmm. they and they humble themselves sure that are truly the ones that move the wheels of the world right mm-hmm. he has this beautiful saying uh that i don't have bookmarked or i'd read it right out of the book okay um, but he essentially says um it's not the lords and governors 
you know, mm-hmm. it's the lords and governors all think they're the ones, right, that are that are making the decisions and, you know, moving everything, right? The elites of the world, right? Uh, it's not really about them, right? It's really about the little people, mm-hmm. right? It's about right. the little people of the world that sure. move the wheels of history and move it towards its ultimate destination. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a lot. He says himself, that's a lot of what he's going for in, you know, in the heroic characters of his stories. Not, mm-hmm. not always. I mean, obviously, Aragorn is a... Is a pretty, sure. pretty yeah, powerful it's, it's a, it's a, figure. It is really in, a, an interesting innovation, though. I mm-hmm. think um, even working within the genre of epic, mm-hmm. right, of mythology, obviously he's adopting that genre to in the Lord of the Rings to uh, a novel narrative mm-hmm. structure. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, um, whether you're talking about Norse uh, mythology, uh, Nordic mythology, like the Icelandic sagas, or say. Um, you know, um, uh, Beowulf, right? Or mm-hmm. say in the sort of the classical world, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey, um, the little people aren't I- important, mm. right, right? In any of those epics, right? right. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's the great heroes, it's the kings, it's the right. it's the warrior, it's the great warriors, it's it's Boromir and Aragon and uh, the sons of Fenor and, and mm-hmm. all of those uh, sorts of uh, people. But here, right, it, you get the hobbits and you get Samwise, right? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it, that is, I think, a an innovation on Tolkien's part in our view of the hero to some degree. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Oh, I mean, it, totally. It's, um, I mean, how much do we see that in in uh, in the New Testament, right? Sure. You yeah. know, that's right, that's right. a consistent theme that's right. just hit on again and again in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons that Tolkien himself said that the Lord of the Rings um, is a fundamentally Catholic and religious work. He said, mm-hmm. now he said. Not when I was not when, not when I was originally writing it, but sure. in the in the revision, I, as I was going back and reading, I was like, "Oh my gosh, my Catholicism is all over this thing!" Right? <laughs> uh, 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 it's, it, I think sure. it was almost kind of like it's silly how much it's all over it, right? right? But it's, right. Like, it's all there, uh-huh. um, and it's that that theme that he is. Uh, uh, what what is in the Magnificat? He has cast down, uh, uh, cast. I'm going to get it wrong, even though I say it all the time. <laughs> cast down the rich, but lifted up the lowly. That's right. That's right. That's line, right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not, and, and Saint Paul says the same thing in one of his letters. It's not the, uh, it's not the powerful ones mm-hmm. of the world, but it's you know he uses the the simple and the, yeah, and the, the poor right, and yeah, the lowly yeah. mm-hmm. to confound the, sure. the powerful sure. peoples of this. Yeah, world, I right? think one of the things that Tolkien does though that that's great is he doesn't sort of get rid of the other as well, yeah. right? So he kind of brings you know brings that so right. we can still celebrate Aragon. Right, well, Aragorn, yeah. Aragorn has to learn that lesson too, sure. right? Yeah, you know, right. Um, he. Uh, he sees Boromir, who is a great character. Mm-hmm. He's a great and powerful um, warrior, mm-hmm. right? And um, he succumbs to the ring. Sure. And he gets yeah. destroyed by it. Right, 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 right yeah. Um, now, he's ultimately, I think we see him ultimately redeemed on his deathbed. Sure. Um, but uh, Aragorn has to witness that. And right, he, has to right, learn, he, had, right. he has to learn the lesson from that, sure, right? That sure. this thing... Um, this thing is capable of destroying even the great mm-hmm, ones, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so Aragorn has to adopt that same humility and that same posture of, mm-hmm. you know, he has to go through the uh, the paths of the dead, right, right to uh, ultimately uh, achieve his mm-hmm. um, achieve his victory, right, right, right. yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, there are numerous opportunities. Obviously, he could have taken the ring from Frodo, probably, you know, up until sure. Frodo departs, yeah. pretty much any time he wanted to, sure, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, but he. Uh, he's fortunately wise enough to know that mm-hmm. it's just going to, yeah, uh, so, to mangle him. Yeah, there's a sense of uh, restraint, right, in a lot of the characters, mm-hmm. right, who are good, um, um, that I don't think is very typified in mo- the modern ethos. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, we're told all the time to go for it, right? Well, and, Be as big as he can, you know, all that sort of thing, right? And, uh, and, and, and a lot of... Tolkien seems to have a strong sense that, that there is a place for people... Right, in, in certain things, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, it's interesting. Like, Samwise is the only one who comes out of the whole mess. It seems to me the least scathed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, he goes totally, through the yeah. whole thing, and he actually goes home. Yeah. Right? And it seems as if he's going to be actually... He lives a long life and has a family. <laughs> right, and, yeah, right, right. Like Whereas everyone else, that. you know, I mean, Aragon does well, obviously, but, you know, it, it he's a king, and it's tough. And, yeah. you know, uh, and of course... Um, uh, it was Arwen, right? You know, Arwen, Ar- yeah. Arwen has to deal with his death after she continues to live mm-hmm. on. So I mean, there's even there, like, there's some sort of like sorrow, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> you know. Uh, well, one sure. of the most 
one of the most interesting characters uh, in, in all of the Lord of the Rings, um, and I actually deal with him in a full chapter in Tolkien's Overture, is uh, Tom Bombadil. Mm, okay, good, good. And uh, Tom Bombadil has a very in- interesting interaction with the ring. Okay, right? yeah, yeah. He's actually able to put the ring on and uh-huh. nothing happens to him. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. For some reason, Tom Bombadil is impervious to the mm, ring. Mm-hmm. And so I explore that a little bit in, uh, in my book, Tolkien's yeah. Overture. Um, and I, I can't, you know, I obviously can't give it all away right now, but, sure. um, but he, you know, it, and it's, I'm, I'm so glad I had the opportunity to do this in dealing with music because he's this character that some people are just like, why is he even in the book? Like Peter Jackson just left him out of the movies uh-huh, altogether, uh-huh, right? Sure, sure. Um, and a lot of people are just like, oh, that Tom Bombadil, I just skipped those chapters. They're so annoying, whatever, you know? And, oh. and it's like, you're totally missing out. Like, right, you, right. you know, and Tolkien himself said like, okay. It's not he's not essential to the story, uh-huh. but he plays an extremely important role in the story. Sure, right. Yeah, right if you're right. just going to be all and, and Tolkien hated when people were like bare bare bones and like, well, let's just get it down to the basics and minimize it. He's sure. like, no, 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 no. That's not how I do things. Right? That's right, 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 um, right. Everything's right. in there for a reason, right? Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So, and you know, like, what great composer of symphonies would sure. have that attitude towards music, right? Right, you know, right At yeah. least before uh-huh. like the 20th uh-huh. century. Right, but, right, um, yeah. But anyway. Um, but Tom Bombadil is such an important character in that aspect because he shows us something about the ring. Remember, he is the, what's he called? He's the master mm-hmm. of the forest, right? right of the old yeah. forest, right? Right. Goldberry, his wife, calls him the master. Uh-huh. And we would never get a picture, a full picture of what that means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I explore that idea and some of the, you know, just some of the textual clues we have in mm-hmm. The Lord of the Rings about, mm-hmm. about the nature of Tom Bombadil. And, you know, I kind of arrive at the conclusion that um, he's something like a um, a Franciscan saint. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, he is he's this character who has just taken this complete vow of poverty, mm. and we think of like we hear vow of poverty typically, mm. uh, you know, as uh, especially as American as American mm. sure. right, Catholics, right. and we're like, oh, that sounds like something only the you <laughs> know, right. religious people do, and you know, that take a special vow and everything, but it's like, no, it completely frees you. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And and that's that's what Tom Bombadil sure. represents to a large mm-hmm. degree is mm-hmm. this complete freedom yeah, I wondered, from the bondage yeah. of the ring. Sure, yeah, yeah. And and I wonder too if it maybe um he really loves too, mm-hmm. right? Like he loves uh yeah. um is it Goldberry, is that right? Yes, Goldberry. Right? And, and then he loves he loves the woods, right? Mm-hmm. He also kind of keeps it under control because some of the trees get a little well, they all obey him, right? You know, right? right? Yeah. Uh but um uh but he does uh really love but yeah, you say like he doesn't he doesn't seem to have any interest in power other than to just kind of take care of things. Right. Right. You know, uh, uh, he is the master, was it tree and wood or something like that? And, mm-hmm. and but like he's not, he's not interested. I, th- I remember at some point they were, uh, there was a possibility, I think maybe it was in the debate at the council about, take, uh, about giving the ring to Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. And Gandalf was like, well, like he might just lose it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. He's, he just doesn't care. Like, he, yeah, you know, right. he, he's got his, he's got his, and, and there's something of blessedness in that. Absolutely. Of like true happiness. Sure. Right. He's like, he's like, I, I, I may be powerful, but mm-hmm. I know my limits as well. Right. Sure. right, I, right. I'm a, I'm a creative being just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've been given my little spot here on, on Iluvatar's green earth. That's right. To, uh-huh. to, to, to tend and to manage. Right. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, di- you know, discussion about like who Tom Bombadil really is and all this kind of stuff. Um, I, I actually interviewed uh, Joseph Pierce at one point. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. About yeah. about the Tolkien stuff, and mm-hmm. I think Joseph said that he. And I, might, I, I have to go back and I'd have to go back and listen to the episode. So go back and listen to my interview with Joseph <laughs> and, and double check me on this. But I think he said that he believes he's supposed to be representative of uh, of unfallen Adam and Eve, right? Oh, that's interesting. That um, Tom Bombadil and Goldberry are supposed to be kind of representative, and right. So yeah, unfallen really Adam and Eve yeah. were not like masters of the whole world. They were masters sure. of the garden. Of the garden, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now they had a, a mission to go and mm-hmm. out into the whole world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But they were just supposed. Theirs mm-hmm. was the garden, yeah, right? And sure. that's kind of how Tom relates to yeah. his his little corner of the world, the old forest. That's a, yeah, that's a really interesting uh, uh, interpretation. Um, you know, um, the the um, just to shift gears here a little bit. I mean, with all of this, I mean, there's so much here to talk about. There's mm-hmm. so much that's interesting. Um, you know, it really uh, raises to your mind, like, wow, like what? How did Tol- How was Tolkien able to do this? Mm-hmm. This amazing thing. How did he think about what he was doing? Uh, and I know that you're interested in his his views about 
his own work and mm -hmm. it, and and his views of creativity really yeah. right and it and it, you think that that's an important part of of why he was able to achieve this and, and helps us kind of understand what's going on even in the in the in the, the, the Lord of the Rings and, and the other works can you speak to a little bit about uh, what what Tolkien had to say about creativity because I think it's actually quite fascinating yeah um... Well, you know, if you want to, um, so I brought along one of my favorite little Tolkien books here, and okay. obviously, you know, we're not on video, so you can't sure. see it, but there's a, I'm not even sure if they publish it under this name anymore, but it's called Tree and Leaf, and um, it's basically uh, his essay on fairy stories, and then it's a poem called Mythopoeia that okay. he wrote for his good friend C.S. Lewis, Okay. Um, which was kind of an account of how Tolkien played his part in convincing C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. of the truth of at least of belief in God and of and of kind of the supernatural realm, okay. right? Okay. That eventually led to, to C.S. Lewis becoming a Christian. Interesting. Um, and then there's a story in here called Leaf by Niggle as well, which is um, another, it's a short story, but it, and it's a fictional short story, but it's a, uh, he called it his purgatorial short story, right? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, Tolkien, and, and actually Leaf by Niggle was written on it was the only time he ever wrote up and just he woke up and just had like a, a fit of inspiration wow and just knocked something out in like an hour uh -huh. it was right as he was in the middle of trying to write the lord of the rings and was like at a at a point where he was just worried that he was never going to complete the right, right? <laughs> uh -huh. um, so it's kind of cool to read that story and understand that context there um so um you know you can gain you can gain a lot of knowledge about his his own views on creativity and that mm -hmm. sort of thing from uh, reading those various works, and it's you know they're not long okay. um, altogether, um, but some of the you know some of the important ideas for him, um, Tolkien believed, uh, Tolkien believed that our creative impulses were far more significant than the the modern world tends to give them credit for. Right, okay. we've been kind of trained um, now. Now maybe not you and I as much, mm -hmm. right? But in general, people are trained to regard our our artistry, right? Whether it be music, um, the visual arts, um, literature, mm -hmm. poetry, all those things are tended to regard those things as like extra stuff, right? Sure. Uh -huh. As the, the add-ons mm -hmm. and like, they're not really necessary. And, oh, that's nice. You're kind of artsy fartsy. You can go over, you can go to this special school for artsy fartsy people. The rest of us, the rest of us people will take care of all the important stuff over here. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. And, um, and Tolkien really thought that was completely upside down. Sure. Right now, yeah, yeah. he was a philologist and he was a writer, so he's probably going to. He's probably a little of biased course. in that regard. Sure. sure. But, uh, but, uh, but just because you're yeah. biased doesn't mean you're not right. That's right. That's right. That's, <laughs> right. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, um, but uh, what what Tolkien, uh, so so Tolkien developed this idea of uh, subcreation. Okay. Right. That one of the key aspects of our being made in the image of God is that we are creators like He is. Now, God creates out of nothing. Right, mm -hmm. God. Sure. God literally works out of nothing. If mm -hmm. we're all made of nothing, everything around us is made mm -hmm. of nothing, mm -hmm. right? And God fashions it into something. Okay. Right. So we aren't, we aren't the kind of um, we're contingent creators, right? Mm -hmm. We, we create from the raw materials that God puts before us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, now that involves maybe putting ink to paper, right? Mm -hmm. And and kind of the the materialistic sense. Okay, sure. But it also involves these inspirations that we receive, right? Sure, right. Which are unique to every human being, mm -hmm. right? Um, we're able to, uh, you know, we're, we're, we kind of just get an idea for something, for a story that just kind of pops. We're like, where did that come from, right? Sure, And right. then we just feel compelled to write it down and make it a reality, Okay, right? right, right. So you see this pattern, and, and you see this pattern repeated uh, throughout our lives, and, and I think Tolkien in a lot of his works was trying to kind of make that I don't know that he in, like intentionally did it. I think it was just so much of an obsession of his that he kind of made it a meta narrative of yeah. of so much so many of his stories. Mm -hmm. um, I talk a lot about and again in Tolkien's overture. I talk about this because uh, you have the Ainur created mm -hmm. by Iluvatar, and what's their job? It's to make music together, uh -huh. right? Sure. right? Their right. job isn't to go and and like construct. Here's like here's your lumber. Go construct a world, right? right, right. Go do something useful with yourselves. No, uh -huh. the useful yeah. thing they're supposed to do is make this beautiful harmonious music sure right right um and what happens well from that from this music this great music they make they have no idea what they're doing they just know they're making music because that's what Iluvatar told them to do from that Iluvatar grants them this vision and he says here's what your music did mm, right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. here's your music visualized for you and then wow, from that yeah, it becomes right. 
this reality. Right, right, right. right. So there's this pattern of like, and I and in Tolkien's overture, I say music, um, vision, reality. Um, but you you kind of see this reflected in a number of different ways in mm-hmm. our own world. Sure, right? sure. And you know you have the elves who are very creative beings and his stories, right? Um, who you know kind of represent that. Uh, that creative function that we see within ourselves, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And really maybe what it's more supposed to be, right? Because right? Right, right. all of their realms are so beautiful, right, full of sure. music and song and glory uh-huh. and all these things, right? Um, but even in our own world, right? I, I think of the Eucharist, mm-hmm, right? Hmm. So what do we do with, you know, what does a priest do in the Eucharist, right? The priest receives the gifts, right? The simple bread, simple wine, sure, right? From, uh, you know, he, he receives these things, which are, you know, just, they're common things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Right. And what does he then do? Well, he, he carries out the words, the, the inspiration of God, right? He carries out the word of God. He says the words, mm-hmm. right? And a new reality is given to these things, right? right? Sure, This sure. new reality is given to these simple artistic works. Right, okay? right, right. Um, I really think that, uh, I really think that one of the things that Tolkien I think he never got around to, um, at least in any of the stuff we have published by him, I don't think he mm-hmm. ever got around to articulating this idea clearly because I think he felt like people wouldn't quite understand him completely. Okay, okay. Um, but the more I read of him, the more I see in him this idea that he believed that our um, our creative works have an eschatological significance. Okay. Right? So there's in one of his letters he says, hey, should God choose to give my my fictional world of Middle Earth reality, uh-huh. all he'd have to do is say, make it real. Right, right. right. <laughs> and it's that same kind of theme we see. In, uh-huh. we, we see a very similar theme in the story Leaf by Nagel without kind of spoiling mm, okay. the story for you. Okay. Um, because I, I would be delighted if one person comes away from listening to this and wants to go read Leaf by Nagel. Sure, sure. Right? It, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. really that great a story. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we see... Um, we see this greater eschatological significance for um, for our creative works that right, right. we may not entirely understand why we have the impulse to create these things, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. We know that there's this inspiration that seems to come from outside of ourselves. Sure, sure. And we work with the raw materials of the world. And what are we doing? Well, we're 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 creating right. Right, the final, the new the new heavens and the new earth, mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. and it needs that perfection from God, mm-hmm. right? Sure, it's not truly sure. going to be completed until it has the perfection from God, right? Sure. The grace, right? Right, right. Um, added on, but, um, uh, but that's you know that's a huge kind of takeaway that I get when I read uh, on fairy stories, Leaf by Nagel, mm-hmm. Mythopoeia, mm-hmm. um, and so many of Tolkien's letters, as well as just kind of the sense of discovering these things within mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's really great. I mean, in your own thought, and maybe we'll. Uh, I know we're going long on time here, but we'll sort of, uh, wind up here in a minute, but. Um, in your own sort of work, uh, your own creativity, mm-hmm. right? your own thoughts about uh, uh, being a scholar, being a writer. I know that uh, you do music as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, to those that, who are out there who are, are interested in being a Christian and being creative, right? Like, I mean, how does that um, how do how does that that translate into your own work, into your own sort of creativity, and and, and maybe give you some inspiration and direction? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, cause I know when, that when, when we, when you spend a lot of time with something like this and it, and this is hard for people, maybe sometimes who don't have this experience, like, I, I talk about my, my, the people that I study, right. Uh-huh. I've been studying some of these people for over 20 years, right. Yeah. Plato, uh, Thomas Aquinas, people like that. Right. It becomes personal to you. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> like it's part of you. Like, Plato and Thomas Aquinas, their thoughts, their thought mm-hmm. world, their all of those sorts of things um, shape my own mind, my own history, all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So I know it's it's a uh, for people for people who dive deeply into something like this, uh, it does actually become part of you and part of your own work. So absolutely, yeah. Um, well, I mean, within so I you know I do I do um I do write music and uh, not that I it's not my living or anything like sure, that. It's more sure. of a hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it is something I'm trying to kind of slowly transform into something that may uh, you know, maybe something more significant further down the road. Mm-hmm. Just like any of my creative projects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I mean, certainly with my music, Tolkien has played a huge okay. um, inspiration. Just met so many of the themes, many of yeah. many of which we haven't even touched on here, sure. uh, just because there's so many of them, right? Right, right, right. right. Um, but it's, um, 
you know, and, and it's these, and it's, and I'm not writing, uh, there, there are bands out there that write like, um, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of take the whole Tolkien thing and they do kind of a Dungeons and Dragons sort of I'm fantasy sure, metal sure. kind right, of thing, right. right? That's not what I'm talking no, about. Like, no. it's more for me about like, what are the underlying like philosophical and existential mm-hmm, ideas that, mm-hmm. that Tolkien had in his works? Right. Um, and, and sort of exploring those, like why, like what's the, what's the significance of my friendship with this person and like the, the creative bond that we right, have as well, uh, right? Uh, sure, sure. Um, you know, uh, what is, uh, you know, what's the significance of, you know, like uh, a loved one passing away right, and, right. um, and, you know, and dwelling here in the Valley of the Shadow of Death, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, you see that so, it's reflected in yeah. so many ways in sure. Lord of the Rings. Um, so, uh, you know, so that's, that's a way, but I was laughing before because, um, it, you know, I think one of the curses, right? Mm-hmm. One of the one of the aspects of the fall that we live under, sure. right, is that, yeah, like life should have been like, like the elves, uh-huh. like like it was for the elves, right? Uh-huh. Like creativity and living in uh-huh. Rivendell, right? Right, like, right, right, sure. But it's not, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's we have to work, we have to labor, we mm-hmm. have, you know, there's toil was one of the uh, mm-hmm. was one of the curses sure. of the fall. That's true, and, yeah. Um, and so. You know, there's time that I would rather be spending <laughs> writing music and and, uh-huh. and, and uh-huh. jamming with people and, uh-huh. and doing awesome stuff that sure. I my heart cries out to do. Uh-huh. But I got to pay the bills. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, <laughs> you got to right, pay the bills right, at the right. end of the day, and that's uh-huh. uh, and so you know sometimes so this this journey into like Tolkien's world over the last couple of years for me has been, um, you know, in part it's been just a, um, uh, you know, an exploration to see okay like. Is this something that I could, you know, mm-hmm. that I could possibly make a living doing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm sure. being, if I'm being quite honest, and right. uh, uh, and it's hard, it's hard in this world we live in, mm-hmm. uh, for, sure. for you know, without without going into starting complaining about a living, <laughs> thing, so, you know, because it's all things we share in common as human yeah. beings, right? Right. right. And, and, and you know, except for the baby, you know, the exceptionally wealthy who are listening mm. to this, but, <laughs> right. but but even there, uh-huh. there's problems, right? Sure, and that's just. That's the existential kind of yeah, reality we find ourselves in. You know, you know? one thing, uh, as we're just wrapping up, I said an idea. I've, I've been thinking about this since we talked. Um, maybe it was uh, first started talking about this maybe about a month or so ago. Uh, and I was it recently at a, a student colloquium. We're talking about unrelated matters mm-hmm. uh, or, or matters that aren't directly related. Um, and so I was talking about the relationship of, of human beings to uh, the cosmos and yeah. to the earth and to, to the environment and so forth. And uh, the student was was f- feeling fairly passionate uh, about the idea that human that human that human being is parasitic, mm, right? Yeah, I hear on that. the cosmos, <laughs> yeah. and and that we're actually sort of um, that our predominant relationship with the world is exploitative, yeah. right? It's a really interesting view. This is no yeah. no theological grounding. It was just a, a sort of this person's view of it. It tied into various other things in culture, but uh, in, in our contemporary culture, but. You know, I, I really kind of sat there and thought about it for a while, and I, I, I raised some objections to that. Albeit, I, I do think there is a way, in a kind of Saronic way, yeah. right, in which we do act that way sometimes. Oh, yeah. Very, very, very more gothic. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> but, the, but there is also a side of, of humans, and I think this goes with the idea of subcreation. You tell me what you think about this, that, that I think actually human beings in their artistic endeavors, their creative endeavors, uh, and their theological, philosophical endeavors, actually sort of uh, add to the being of the world, mm-hmm. and by by that I don't mean that they make literally the, you know, new entities in the world. But you know, there's not just trees. There are poems about trees. Yeah. Right. There are songs about trees. There mm-hmm. are paintings of trees. There's almost more tree in the world, right? yeah. <laughs> because humans are interested. Like we're the kinds of things on a more positive note, right? Right. The kinds of things that that can appreciate. Uh, being around us, mm-hmm. right, can kind of t- almost take it into us, and then kind of replicate it in new ways. Yeah. You know, uh, in our artistic endeavors, that sort of thing. I, m- I remember hearing you uh, in one of your podcasts talking about the idea uh, of people. And I think you just mentioned this again, uh, letting Tolkien inspire their music, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh man, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. You know, like I would love to see that world then taken into a human being, another human being, and another artist, and sort of recreated in another way and sort of yeah. add almost more middle earth to what's already there right 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 <laughs> yeah know? uh um, i know very often when i read the silmarillion i hear in, in the background uh wagner but that's just my own <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, predilections but anyways yeah. 
Well, John, thank you so much for uh, giving us so much time oh, uh, to you. talk about yeah. these things. Uh, I know that there's a lot more we could talk about. Uh, maybe we'll get a chance to, to do this again and, and maybe do sure. a follow-up episode yeah, in the future. Um, uh, can you tell us just a little bit more about, uh, remind us of where uh, people can hear about your work, uh, where they can uh, benefit from your insights and your studies? Yeah, sure. So, um, so the, the main thing is the Tolkien Road podcast, which you can find on uh, iTunes or Great. any of the other you know most of the most of the other uh, popular podcast apps mm-hmm. out there. So okay. it's free to download. There's uh, over 140 episodes out there. So we've covered the entire Silmarillion, uh, the entire Lord of the Rings. We're about to dive into the Hobbit. Um, we went we went the reverse order that you think. Okay. Right? We, went, we went from hardest to least that's hard, great. right? Um, which was intentional. Um, but uh, that's that's kind of the uh, the main you know the main thing. So if you if you mm. if you want some binge listening, that's right. Yeah, you know, if, you got, if you got a long commute, uh, <laughs> you know, I got a couple of work uh, weeks worth of listening for you. That's and great. then um, and then the books are um, you can go to Tolkien'sRequiem.com for the one on Baron and Luthien, or Tolkien'sOverture.com for the one on Tolkien's Overture, uh, for for the one on the music of the Ainur. And um, and by the way, each of those there there's free downloads available at each of those. Okay, um, great. In addition to you know purchasing the paperback or the the ebook of those, so okay, um, and uh, so uh, and then the website is truemist.org. I'm actually trying to stand up a, a new website with the name. Uh, I, I won't put out the name just yet. Okay, but okay. Truemist.org should you know it should very least redirect you to the okay. new website. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, okay. Uh, that's kind of the that's kind of the main the main stuff. Uh, the different ways to, to reach me and uh, you know uh, most of all just you know want to. Just want to get, you know, good thoughts about Tolkien out sure, there, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and love here, love interaction from folks who uh, who enjoy it. So okay, great, great. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much uh, for spending this time with us. Uh, it was a really useful, pleasant, uh, interesting uh, conversation. Um, if uh, if our listeners are interested in uh, exploring uh, the Catholic intellectual tradition more, uh, we have lectures. Uh, and um, blog posts and all sorts of uh, resources available at catholicstudiesacademy.com. So please check us out there or on Facebook. Until next time, God bless.